Welcome to the No Block, No Rock podcast. This is the uh, Keel Craver, Fabian Washington, Taylor Martinez, Eric Warfield episode. What number did these guys wear? Number three. Number three. This is episode three of MBNR podcast. Let's go. I am one of your hosts, Jared Hall. And I am Mike Delaware. Rob Morrissey. Rob Morrissey is filling in for Eric today. Um, Eric has a stomach bug or something, so uh, uh, we, Rob is blessing us with his presence today. So, uh, But I think uh, let's just dive right in. Bush. Bush. The latte version? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's the Bill version. Oh, all right. The Bill version of the Bush. Uh, what do you guys think about Bill Bush? Uh, Jared, you want to get us kicked off on that? Sure. Um, I think the hiring of Bill Bush is, it can't be... A not great thing. I think. I think Rob will get into this a little more. Um, he is obviously one of the best hires that Scott's made so far. Um, and the thing that stands out to me is, Coach Bush isn't like a frost guy. Like they didn't really come up in the ranks together. They aren't buddy buddies, or butt buddies, as some people would say. I think this is like a, a positive step in the right direction for Scott Frost. I think this is a great hire. Keep going. What do you think? That's just me. <laughs> All right. Bill Bush. I mean, the man's worked for Nebraska two times. Now the third time. Uh, I mean, he worked for Ohio State, Rutgers, LSU. I mean, he recruited Alex Smith. He recruited the great Joe Burrow. The guy is a recruiting monster. Uh, I mean, you can't be a bad hire, and the guy's still getting paid by LSU. I mean – when, it, when a guy's still getting paid from his previous employer, a.k.a. Bo Pelini taking no money at Youngstown, uh, when a guy's still getting paid by his previous employer, that means he wants to be here. His wife lives here. He lives here when he's not in LSU. I mean, the guy lives here. He wants to be here. He knows what Nebraska's all about. And I, honestly, it's just a great fit. I mean, analyst is kind of head-scratching what an analyst can do. Uh, versus a coordinator and all that stuff. I don't know how much they can bend the rules and all that stuff. But I mean, what I mean, what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think Bill Bush fills a couple of gaps. So, you know, we have a head coach who's fantastic at the X's and O's. We have a head coach who's uh, been the AP Coach of the Year. Right? That doesn't you don't fall off the boat and that happens, right? Yeah. And when you think about the hire of Bill Bush, you think about the continued maturation of our head coach. And to me, Bill Bush is here for two reasons. First and foremost, he is here to fix special teams. Bill Bush has done special teams at a lot of places. He's done it really, really well. We have a special teams issue. You know, A year ago, Rhett was able to at least help us make field goals. Maybe because we were healthy, right? Yeah. Give some credit. <laughs> no safeties playing. Well, right. And we have we have the injured punter from Australia, so that didn't help. Daniel either. Cerny has not played a snap yet. He's not played yet. Um, and I think the other thing Bill Bush is here to do is to provide some aggressive perspective from a recruiting perspective, right? So literally everywhere Bill Bush has been, he's made a recruiting impact. Whether it is the pre-mentioned Alex Smith and Joe Burrow stuff to what you see from a top 10, I think top five recruiting class from Bill Callahan. And there's a fight inside of the city that there hasn't been in a very long time. There are five Nebraska offers that have national offers. And 
a guy like Bill Bush, who knows the high school coaches, there's been turnover in, in those ranks, but Bill Bush's name still rings, right, inside of the city, is going to make an impact. And beyond that, our state is producing high school football players in a way that they haven't for a very long time. You've got Maverick Noonan at Elkhorn South. Every single day, it seems like he's adding offers. You've got a wide receiver who I think is six foot five, 180, 195 pounds in that range at Bellevue West. That is a priority for Nebraska. Bill Bush is the guy that continually gets you into uh, living rooms throughout the country and builds relationships even in this analyst role, and I'm going to take this analyst role one step further and, and kind of turn it back over, but you look at how a school like Alabama uses analyst roles. They had 12 of them a year ago. Three of them are name brands, and Butch Jones, Charlie Strong, and Major Applewhite. Uh, if I'm not right, Major Applewhite was um, a big piece of, after we lost to Chris Sims and Ricky Williams, Major Applewhite was the next guy that came into the stadium and, and beat us, right? Yep. <laughs> and, you know, those three names are big names. Those are analysts. And these people make a big impact. They basically take stress. They take time off of the 10 paid assistants that can be on the field, that can technically, and I say that in air quotes, be recruiting. And it allows your staff to be more efficient. These analyst roles are big Bill Bush is huge, and you don't have to take it any further than the quotes today from the Lincoln Journal Star, from Brandon Rigoni. Uh, Brandon Rigoni, just a little bit of uh, inside information. The best high school football player I ever played against, and uh, yeah, I played against a, a couple that ended up in the NFL. As a high school football player, Brandon Rigoni, the best I ever played against from Lincoln Southeast. Obviously, Brandon played special teams for us. And if he says Bill Bush makes an immediate impact, Bill Bush is not a guy to sit in the shadows. That's an unbelievable analyst that you're paying, I think, $34,000. Peanuts. Yeah, so you're, you're essentially paying him nothing. And, and I think the, the pros, so I don't know if there is any cons. With, by hiring a guy of the stature of Bill Bush. And the thing was, is he turned down, like, coordinating jobs. He turned down assistant coaching jobs all over the country, to be able to go back home. His wife lives here. He lives here. Um, go back home and just be able to coach a place that he's familiar with and live in a city that he's familiar with, that he wants to be here, and maybe in the future he'll he'll have a full-time position. I don't know. I mean, I mean, you can play the full-time position how you want, but, like, let's give credit to where credit's due. Like, we talk about Wood River a lot with Scott. Oh, yeah. Like, Bill Bush is a Pinder graduate. Like, potentially, Bill Bush grew up on the reservation, right, in Pinder. There's a chance, right? Like, this is Nebraska born and raised. Okay. He knows how it goes here in in the Big Red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that extra, he's going to have that extra motivation to want to succeed at Nebraska of all places. So, and just piggybacking off your point, Rob, just a great timing for him to come to Nebraska. Yeah. Just with all the talent like we've never seen before, that's, like you said, being recruited at a national level, I think this is great timing, and I'm hoping that this move will pay off. I really do. So, 
So I know that analysts can't go on the road per se, and, and I imagine Bill will be a, a huge part of recruiting when they get here on campus, which is a big deal in recruiting at Nebraska in general, because until you get a kid from wherever in the United States, until they actually step foot on campus, and once they step foot on campus, I feel like that is a sell. Like Once you get here and experience what it is and what it's about, like you bring them here and they're like, okay, like th- this is better than just some podunk town in the middle of the United States. Like, they come here, and I think Bill Moose could be that closer that you're kind of looking for. I know you're kind of like a baseball guy. It's it's you, He could be your closer. I don't know if he can, you know, tweet on the on the, the lines of illegal and illegal. If, if he wants to maybe make a trip to Baton Rouge and find a couple of recruits that he may have been recruiting at LSU. I don't know if he's allowed to do that and if he maybe will do something like that. But, yeah, I think Bill Bush is a great hire. It, it's a great hire, and I think – you know, obviously there's rules and expectations, and our university has shown for a very long time from a football perspective. I think the only trouble we've ever really got into is from swimming. Men's swimming, it's no longer uh, a program. But Bill has contacts throughout the United States, right? He's basically worked from Utah East. And, you know, when you are in this business for this long, whether it's the JC level or the high school level, when you make a phone call, maybe to a retired high school football coach or a current high school football coach with the roles that he's been in, they understand who's calling. And that makes a big impact. And it gets the foot into the door. And you think about where someone with these type of connections, it gives you cachet. It gives you the ability to have a a perspective. I mean, we think about this. We are, what, 12 we're 15 months separated from LSU winning a national title where he was a paid position coach, right? Like, that's a big deal. Got well, clout. He, yeah. he was making a lot of money. Like, yeah. And he, he recruited a lot of big names. Mm-hmm. I mean, he brought a lot of those guys to that program and made things happen. I don't know if – I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I, his relationship with probably Joe Burrow's dad maybe brought him to LSU. I have no idea, but I imagine I had to play some sort of – role right it you know we can only speculate right yeah we can only speculate it has to play a role in in how joe got there with the nebraska ties and you just look beyond that and bill's recruited a lot of guys that on the surface he doesn't have that type of tie with because he builds relationships these assistant coaches that recruit really well i refer to as mercenaries right you look at the guys around the country that move from one place to the next, and they get more money, they get a better title. It's because they can recruit. Very few of them are known at the college level as great coaches and developers. To me, this is about the Jimmys and the Joes. This is a Jimmy Johnson quote, right? I'm going to worry about the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm not going to worry about the X's and the O's. And that is a thing that rings true. You know, Nick Saban is the gold standard. In college football, Nick Saban was an average football coach at Michigan State. He lands in a great situation at LSU, right? You think about a sleeping tiger, no pun intended, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, LSU can can really play football. Well, there's a reason for that, right? Nick's in a spot that's good from a recruiting perspective. Players are everywhere, but he was a very good recruiter in a bad spot in East Lansing. And all of a sudden, you put him in a really good place, surround him with fantastic assistants, 
Kirby's there, Muschamp's there, Jimbo's there. Mm-hmm. They're all there basically at the same time or in a spot that's overlapping. I think Kirby's the only one that's not there at the same exact time with Muschamp and Jimbo, right? And there's a reason they got really good. Yeah, those guys can X and O with everybody else, but, man, they can recruit better than everybody else. Kirby's a a monster recruiter. He's a monster. Jimbo's a monster. Yeah. And and you did touch on this earlier, Rob, before we started – when Bill Bush was here initially with Callahan and he had those top five classes, I mean, when you look at the few bright seasons that we had, mm-hmm. those were mostly the backbone were Bill Bush, former recruits. and Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and listen, like John Blake, God rest his soul, right? John Blake could recruit, right? The reason that Bob Stoops won a national championship. He won it with John Blake's guys plus Josh Heupel. Yes. Right? Yes. Right? Like, yeah. come on. Let's, John let's, Blake. Hey, that's, that's Tennessee Josh Heupel to you now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's Tennessee Josh Heupel. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, you think about situations that people walk into. We talk all the time about development. Development is important. But I will go to the wall saying players make coaches. Not coaches make players in most cases, and this will be controversial, but Nebraska has no intention of being Iowa or Wisconsin. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not why we're here. That's not why people are tuning in. Like Nebraska wants to win at the highest level. Iowa and Wisconsin are really good, but they don't win at the highest level. Yeah, and that's a, a conversation that maybe we can have like later about is that the expectation that we should still have? Should we still have it? I don't. Should, yeah. I don't know. And you know, you, you just consider you know times have changed. You consider our location. You consider that you know we're not the only team on TV anymore like we used to be back in the seventies and eighties. There's a whole bunch of different factors. Should we still have those heights of being national champions? You know, I think with the money that is poured into this university yeah. every given day and the amount of people who support. And spend the the time religiously following this program and supporting this program through ups and downs. I think you can have a a standard. You can have, and I I think you really should want to be better than the Iowa's and the Wisconsin's of the world. Now, maybe not a national title type team, but you should want to be. You should be wanting to own the West every single year. You should be oh, wanting absolutely. to kick those teams in the teeth every year, and. Obviously, we haven't been there. We haven't done that. Um, but I think you shouldn't change your expectations just because you've had a couple down years. Because look at some of those guys, some of those good coaches. They don't always start out the best, but here they are now. You know, like, I mean, guys don't always start great. I know Coach K didn't start out great at Duke. Look at them. I mean, there's these guys, Nick Saban, like you said earlier, he didn't start out great at Michigan State. Look at him now. He's regarded as probably the best coach ever. So, I mean, Rome wasn't built overnight. It, it's going to happen. Like, I don't know if it'll happen with Scott or not, but you got to give him time. You got to, I mean, it just, it, that's just what's got to happen. Well, and you think about valuations. Like, think of it from a business sense. Uh, you guys mentioned Bill Moose earlier. I refer to Bill Moose as Bull Moose. <laughs> right? Like, you, you, you can't live the lifestyle that he lives and simply be a Bill. You're more a, a bull. Right. 
And the valuation of this football program, I think Forbes released this uh, six to eight weeks ago, was the ninth highest rated valuation or money coming in, right, in the United States. So if you can be horrible by program standards for 20 years and be the ninth highest valuation from a revenue in perspective, you got to step back and say, every resource is here to win. And you've got to be able to figure out how to tap into the resource, the history, and build the culture and develop the players. And most importantly, recruit the players that match the expectations, the money coming in, because this is the cash cow for the university. Yeah, you said Sleeping Tiger earlier. Nebraska, I know people might cringe at this, but they are a sleeping giant right now. Now they're a sleeping and, farmer. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you can find a way to make this thing click, you get that culture established. I mean, there was a reason. I mean, Nebraska was over the course of a 40-year period where we were the most winningest college football program right. in the nation. 40 years. That's not two years, five years, four decades. I think I think Nebraska fans have a right to be having expectations where not only are competing for Big Ten West, like this this that's the first step we need to take. Obviously, we're not really anywhere close to that right now. But just considering all those different factors, Nebraska should be able to win at a very high level. There's no excuse really. And you're talking about comfort, and I think that moves us into the next guy that got hired here. Uh, Keenan Lowe, I mean, he worked with Scott at Oregon. I know he was the, his big story, and they're doing like a Disney movie over it right now. But <laughs> Keenan Lowe saved a guy from shooting up a high school or something like that. Big deal. Yeah, it's a big huge deal. deal. Absolutely. Um, but he played for Scott at Oregon. And if we want to get into like familiarity with the staff and the building a culture, um, bringing in a guy that maybe had some culture with somebody else, that understands the way things flow. Um, could be, you know, that oil that gets the gets that thing going. Um, Keenan Lowe, I think, is honestly a really good analyst hire. I mean, he's no Bill Bush. I mean, we talked about him, and we, we beat that drum for a while, and hopefully yeah. everything plays all right with Bill Bush. I think everything will be just fine. But what do you think about Keenan Lowe? I mean, not a big, flashy name, but it's a guy that is familiar with this staff. Yeah, I think there's trust here. Right. And at that analyst position, these guys are grinders, right? College football coaches in general are grinders. When you are an analyst, you're the low of low. Well, you're not the low of low. GAs are the low of low, right? But when you are this level, it is 70 hours a week. You're cutting tape. You're providing perspective. And where you have trust here is when an idea, when a perspective bubbles up, Having trust at this analyst level is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't have that much more to add. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know too much about him. I just know that he used to be a, a player under Frost and all that. So if we just want to get into Castro Walker a little bit, I mean, again, a former Frost guy at UCF where he served as a uh, like a player personnel guy that would kind of be that off-the-field liaison if you will like i don't want to say a counselor well and he's a hooper so i mean that dude 
Connect, yeah. build, build that connection. Yeah, man. they got that yeah. connection on and off the field and the court. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and when you think about Castro Walker, Herm Edwards has tried to create a situation in college football that's drastically different than anywhere else. Herm is functioning as the head coach and the GM. They have brought this NFL perspective to where Castro Walker was functioning at a much higher level than potentially where we're going to play him, right? So you think about the Arizona State model being so different than any other model in college football. This is a person that understands responsibility. This is a person who's been provided the opportunity to make impacts in a way that doesn't exist or hasn't existed at Nebraska that I think is really intriguing. I don't know a lot about him, but if you if you work and help build a program that wins a mythical or real national championship at UCF, like you guys mentioned, uh, I think in the first podcast, and then you go work for a guy that was an NFL head coach for a very, very long time, there's something about your DNA that is, you know, responding to people with really, really good experience. I think Frost is making this change from uh, Ron Brown to Castro Walker. If you look at the environment of college football, it's the transfer portal. That door is swinging. Woo! Right? I mean, you got guys going in, out, left, right, whatever. And it's, I think you're hoping to alleviate, you know, if, if, if we're being real, I mean, Nebraska is not a travel destination. You're not, you're not in Florida. You're not in California, right? And whether you believe it is a true narrative, weather is a narrative. So you're hoping with this guy that he can kind of bring these players in that might not be totally familiar with Nebraska, and you're hoping that he can connect with them, that he can kind of – they can bounce their their concerns off on him, and he can kind of just be that kind of counselor guy. And I don't, I'm not sure if Ron Brown, you know, he's what, pushing 70? I'm not sure if he's – I don't think Ron's that old. Yeah, but, I mean, point, yes. right? Point yeah. Not sure he's – Gonna be he the can't greatest connect with fit. The young guys anymore. Right. Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hoping. This Castro Walker is the better fit than Mr. Brown. I also think what's interesting is when you think about these two in particular, you even separate Bill Bush from this. Is there's true West Coast experience? Yeah. The rest of the staff, on paper, doesn't have great West Coast experience other than Lubbock, mm-hmm. right? Like. This is a guy that Lubbock was a guy that Rival says is a top ten recruiter in in the Pac uh, Pac ten Pac twelve yep. however you want to refer to it. Outside of him, there's not a lot of West Coast experience. There's a lot of players on the West Coast. That's obvious. We've got to recruit inside the five hundred mile radius. We've got to recruit outside the five hundred mile radius. And anything that you can do to be able to connect with that. And I say this, and I'm thinking about our, our D-line coach, who's a West Coast guy, right? So this only adds to the Lubbock uh, D-line coach. I always struggle to Tony Tony. Yeah, Tony. Right? You've got, you've got additional rounding out, right, of, of that experience and, and those connections to be able to help. Because without the players, it doesn't matter who you are. Bill Belichick, I think, was under 500 in the NFL the best football coach the NFL has ever seen. Without players, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, 100% right. 
And, you know, and, and moving on maybe to our next segment here is a guy who dictates who can hire, or I mean, who can make those moves. Uh, Bill Moose. Bull Moose, right? Bull Moose. Bull, Bull, Moose. Bull Moose. He made some comments, and uh, I think, Jared, you have those comments. Uh, let's, let's listen to him. Yeah, he was – there was like a little press conference with Scott just kind of talking about – you know, the recruiting class I was coming in and Bill Moose um, made some comments just kind of regarding fans' expectations and patience. And he kind of compared us with Washington State. And he said that Nebraska fans actually had more patience than Washington State fans did at the time. Um, but he did say something that kind of irked me a little bit. He, I This is quoting him. These players who are running to Twitter and social media Never had to go through the challenges Scott is going through, trying to rate, trying to rise out of ashes of losing football and a brand being tarnished a bit. We're in the position of being the hunter instead of the hunted. That's not easy for some of these players who never had to do that. Some of these guys, and he's talking about former players, Nebraska used to be the preseason pick to win the conference. They're in the top five nationally. What you had to do then was play your best and maintain it. The challenge here is to try to get there again, and that doesn't happen overnight. I think the reason these quotes irk me so much, it just feels like Bill Moose is kind of... Bull. Bull Moose. (laughs) Bull Moose, excuse me. I just feel like he's minimizing those great teams that existed in the mid-90s and everything. I mean, I I would say the 70s, but those guys aren't tweeting. It's the 90s guys, right? And so he's talking about how what you had to do was play your best and maintain it as if that was like such an easy thing to do. Agreed. Trying to maintain such a high level of play for, we'll, we'll just say between 94 and 99. We'll just say that for just to put that window smaller. I just, I feel like he's acting like these players had it easy where the expectations were so high, where if you lost one game, I remember my older brother telling me back in 96, after Nebraska lost to Arizona state in the opener, 19 to zero. And he was telling me that it just felt like there was a dark cloud hanging over the state that day. And when Moose talks about now we are the hunter instead of the hunted, Okay, those teams that were winning natties, they have targets on their back. They're being hunted by everyone else. You think that's so easy getting every team's best effort? I just feel like every time Bill Moose opens his mouth that it doesn't help Scott. And I realize a guy in his position, you're in front of a microphone all the time. Sometimes you're going to say things that maybe don't come off as totally politically correct, right? So I don't want to get the bull's horns, if you will. So I do recognize it's a tough job. Reporters ask you questions. Maybe you get quoted out of context sometimes. But the quotes that I read, this is, that's from the Omaha World Herald. I just, I, I just wish he wouldn't degrade former players that were – provided the greatest teams of all time of college football. I think they have a right to voice their concerns, just like Scott once did 
when he was at Kansas State, yep. when he was a GA, I believe he wrote he yeah. wrote a column in a newspaper. Yeah, I mean, he wrote an editorial saying, hey, like I don't like the status of the program. Right, and he went into more detail than that. Right. So the former players are always going to have opinions. And you're recruiting the son of a former player right now in Danny Noonan. Right, so it's not the window in which you're speaking to, but a lot of the players that played for Tom are now having sons. So you just think about you know what that has to do sp- specifically with that context. You also think there's a little bit of self-preservation here probably as well. Yeah, so it's, it's universal here that we got the guy that we wanted. You know, Florida wanted him. Scott could have stayed, took a, a different job if he wanted to. He took this job. And AP Coach of the Year, this is the head coach that you want running your program with his background here. But when you think about self-preservation, it's for Scott, it's for him to take some pressure off. I think that's very key just to understand the human psyche of it. I don't disagree with it. I also think that this is a continued trend from Scott and from the bowl of popping your mouth off a little bit. The first time we played Wisconsin, you see on TV Paul Christ, you know, in you know, whatever terms you want to use, saying take that. There was no animosity between Paul Christ and Scott Frost. This is a program to a program thing that becomes personal. And when you're no good and you are the hunted, to our earlier comments, like it makes it difficult. So you 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 put this all together. It creates an interesting dynamic. And at the same time, the Lincoln Journal Star today, I think, has an article about John Cook making calls to head coaches. And I think specifically it was to Fred, the mayor. Like, the bull is sitting there until John Cook decides he doesn't want to coach the volleyball team. And Danny's coming back, whoever's taking this over. John Cook in theory, is the next athletic director at the University of Nebraska and probably inherits whatever's going on with Scott. And so it's self-preservation until the bull decides he leaves. Hopefully Scott's got this in the spot where John Cook doesn't have to make a tough decision. Yeah. And and here's a really weird thing that I thought of when you were talking about being the hunted versus the hunty and whatnot. Do you think this program is still hunted? despite our record that it has been under Scott and under Riley, do you think we're still hunted by some of these schools that haven't had the success that Nebraska has had in the past? Well, I think you think you look at top 10 all-time of wins, and I, I think we're inside of the top 10 a little bit still, even with how bad we've been over the last 20 years. You see how much revenue is generated. You know, as an opposing player, you walk into Old Lady on 9th Street. It's going to be packed. See you, Red. It's going to be on national TV. That fires you up. You you go to Northwestern. You go to Maryland in a normal environment, and there's Husker fans everywhere. I was there in, in Colorado a year and a half ago at this point. That's a stadium that was at least 50% red. Do you think the Colorado guys wanted to stick it to us because of the fans in the stands? A hundred percent. So while it isn't Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State showing up type of hunted, 
when you have the prestige, when you have the people showing up, it creates an environment that you're getting everybody's best shot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and like I just, you know, people always use the term blue blood, you know, and I'm I'm still I'm the of the opinion that you know despite these four and eight seasons, I think just taking into account like the revenue and I th- I think that we get we still get teams best shot despite our basement status. I still think that we are a blue blood. I really do. Well, I mean, the wins are there. I mean, you could be an Iowa State fan talking all this shit on Nebraska now where Iowa State, I mean, laugh at everything they've ever done in their history until 2019 and 2020. You could you could say that Nebraska isn't this and Nebraska isn't that, but, I mean, those wins are still there. They're never going away. You can't take those wins that we've had away from us. And and that's that's how it is. Like, some of these programs that are kind of on the up and up or some of these programs that have had have been on the losing end of us a lot are enjoying us down at the bottom. Now, am, are we ever going to go to the top? Who knows? I mean, but they are enjoying it and they are soaking in it and they are they are churning this big pot and making things heat up down here. Okay. Yeah, and isn't that isn't that kind of proving our point that we yes. are indeed a blue blood? Yeah, ab- they are, absolutely. They're they're they love are we're crying over in, in Lincoln right now. They love our four and eights. Okay. They love people talking shit on us on you know ESPN about all our transfers and stuff. They love it. Yeah, they, they live for that. And speaking of four and eight, let's let's move on to our, our next segment. Okay. The 2021 schedule has been released again. They they made some changes. Rob, what do you think about the changes that were made to the schedule? Nothing crazy. But I think some of them actually benefit Nebraska. Yeah, so I think the obvious one here when you think about the changes is Ohio State and Oklahoma are spread out. I think that's, that's straight up and honest. But when you look at the rest of the schedule, you've got you've to beat Bert Bielema. I refer to him as Bert, Bert. not Brett, right? With his Hawkeye tattoo just like Coach Chin. <laughs> You've got to beat Lance Leopold, who won all kinds of national titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. I understand that's a lower level. He's at Buffalo. Buffalo had a good year. That team comes back. You've got to take care of Lincoln Riley, which is a hard thing to do. Mel Tucker's 2-0 against, or, yeah, 1-0 against Scott, right? You've got to, you've got to beat Fitzy. You've got to beat Kako, Khaki's Gym. You have B.J. Fleck. Uh, Jeff Brom, Ryan Day, and Paul Christ. Yes, Oklahoma and Ohio State get spread out. But when you look at the list of head coaches, to our point earlier about Bill Bush in experience, Scott is, in, in most cases, less experienced. His staff is still less experienced than the staffs that they're going to compete against. There's no easy road to hoe here. Yeah, that, after that Oklahoma game, you have a, a slew of games where if Scott is going to have this year four breakout, here's, here's the following opponents after OU and Norman, which will surely be an L to yeah. Lincoln. Okay, let's just... It might be a boat race. Yes. Like Bill Callahan kicking a field goal at the yeah. end. David Dykes. <laughs> I, remember I remember that game. I was there. 
But b- between Oklahoma and Ohio State, here's our slew of opponents. Michigan State, Northwestern, Michigan, Minnesota, and Purdue. By all means, I'm not saying that these are dubs by any means. We are in no position to, to chalk these up as wins right now. But with coaches that have started off like Scott has started off, not great, obviously. By year four, you start to see a turnaround. You saw, you know, you saw this with Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin. He started off miserably. Year four, turn it around. If Scott is going to turn this program around, I think those slew of games after Oklahoma, if he can find a way to win, we'll, we'll say four out of five. Um, I think that Michigan game, I think you can definitely win that game. But there's no doubt that that Michigan roster is, you know, pound for pound, is going to be more talented than yours. Um, but I'm hoping that with all this talk about Nebraska's roster being better than Minnesota, it's like, okay, can we finally see it on the scoreboard instead of on paper? Well, yeah, and if you look at recruiting rankings every year, there is zero excuse Nebraska is losing to Northwestern, Minnesota, Iowa, Every single Purdue. year, Purdue. I mean, come on. If you look at the recruiting rankings, we are at the top of the the Big Ten recruiting rankings for the Big Ten West yep. every year, and we will continue to do that. So the fact that you are losing those games is it comes down to one thing: coaching. You're getting out coached uh, against every single one of those games, and to me, it, it just it's one of those things. It's it's unacceptable. And we need to start taking that step forward and stop taking 10 steps back every game. Yeah, and uh, on the recruiting front, you know, Clay Travis's Outkick.com had a great article this week talking about recruiting classes. Michigan is in that lot. You know, Michigan is one of the 14 teams in the country over the last four years that's had a top 10 recruiting class. Since 1996, only the 2000 team of Oklahoma has won a national title that hasn't had a top 10 recruiting class two years in the last four. So, you know, to the point, when we think about what that Michigan roster has, it's way more firepower on paper, on paper. than what the Nebraska team is going to to bring, you know, to bear. So it's very interesting when you think about how do we navigate that piece of the schedule, that there's opportunity there, sandwiched between two juggernauts. Yeah. They've got to make some hay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, now that we talk about the schedule, do you think the schedule is going to change again with this crazy COVID times? I know that the the or the Illinois game in Ireland that's up for grabs. Honestly, it's probably canned already. Do you think we still play them in Week Zero? Do you think the whole schedule shuffles again, or do you think the Big Ten releases just to say we already know that's going to go away? You're still going to play Illinois. Uh, in week zero, but it's going to be at Illinois, not in Ireland. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Is it going to change again, or are we are we pretty content on where this schedule is landed now? I hope, as a fan, it stays where it is. This is like the SEC model, right? You, you mix in one of these schools late in the year that, in theory, gives you a break, right? We are not in a, a position where anyone gives us a break. But you have southeastern Louisiana, which is not Illinois, and you have 
the opportunity to be able to not have the physical pounding that you have. And it's late in the year as you build into, which I think is Wisconsin and Iowa at the end of the schedule. Yeah. And look, it's going to change again. If we know anything about the Big Ten, once they <laughs> once they do something, either they change it or they, they, they screw up, but they don't really admit that they screwed up. It's going to get changed again, in my opinion. Ireland game is not happening. Um, no Guinnesses, no Murphys. It's not going to happen. I mean, so. it's, it's February 10th, and we don't have a Big Ten baseball schedule. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we, have, we have the second proposed 2021 football schedule before we have the 2021 baseball schedule. Right. That's supposed to kick off in the next couple months. Right. So Next couple months. Weeks. Weeks. Yeah, weeks. sorry. Weeks. <laughs> I mean... That is insane. If that doesn't tell you. And and I think moving forward, we're going to have so many discussions on this schedule. And I think eventually when we get closer to it and all the hype is there, we can have maybe our too early schedule breakdown or we can project how well Nebraska is going to do or not do. But let's just let's roll right into this. We had a Super Bowl. And do you think Mr. Sue played well in the Super Bowl? This is all I'm going to say about this. So I'm at work today, right? I get an email from none other than the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. Weird, right? That's wild. I open it up, and he sent me an attachment. Do you know what this attachment was? <laughs> what did that say? It's a, it's a picture of Ndamukin Sue's Hall of Fame plaque. He gave me a sneak peek, <laughs> and it says House of Spears on it. House of Spears. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. <laughs> and, and you know, I think the, the guy next to me thinks that Sue might not be the only guy that's going to the Hall of Fame. Rob, I know you had some good stats, and and I think they're air based. But let's let's hear a little bit about Levante. Yeah. So I know that on the last podcast we talked about is Sue a Hall of Famer or not a Hall of Famer. You think about Levante David. And compared to his contemporary peer, Luke Keekley from the Carolina Panthers. So I'm just going to go over, this is the same amount of years. This is 2012 to 2019. And during that time frame, Keekley had 66 passes defensed, seven uh, forced fumbles, nine forced, uh, fumble recoveries, 12 and a half sacks, and a total of 1,092 tackles, tackles for loss, 72. Same time frame, Levante's got 11 picks. He's got 51 pass defense, 24 fumble recoveries. He's got, uh, sorry, 16 fumble recoveries, 24 sacks, 1,008 tackles, and tackles for loss, 116. Obviously, he adds to those stats this year. Levante's coming back. And when you think about the NFL, it's a longevity thing as much as it's a production thing. Luke Keekley is a seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, Defensive Rookie of the Year. He beat Levante head-to-head for that and was on the All-NFL 2000s team where Levante is one-time Pro Bowl, one-time All-Pro. But when you look at the actual production, right, of a Levante David versus an incredible, highly recognized Luke Keekley. We're in the same ballpark. And so if Sue's potentially in the Hall of Fame, Levante David's in the Hall of Fame, 
Levante plays another year, those stats continue to grow, and there's maybe two years, maybe three years left, it's hard to keep Levante David, even without the All-Pros and the Pro Bowls, out of the Hall of Fame with those type of numbers. Yeah. Um, see, I, 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 don't think, I don't think Levante will make it. And I, I do agree with – I obviously can't argue against all the stats that you just yeah. put up. Uh, it's all about accolades, right? But I think Levante David, he reminds me of like these MLB players that get elected to the Hall of Fame by like veterans committees and stuff, where later down the line, like veterans that used to play actually play baseball and not the writers. Harold Baines is a great example of this. He's a guy that was not voted in by the writers, but former players had enough respect for him looking back, and they're like, okay. We feel like he's he's a worthy member of the Hall of Fame. So I think like Levante David, and since I'm an MLB head, you know Harold Baines. He's I think it's kind of like in that department. Harold Baines had the stats to like back him up, but he just didn't have all the other accolades like MLB All Star appearances and all that. So I think he'd be a worthy member, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's something like Drew Pearson getting in this year, right, with this year's class. Mm-hmm. You mean, this is a guy from the Cowboys, I think, late 70s, early 80s, right, that gets in. Levante may have to wait, but to me, the spot in Canton, Ohio, sits, you know, there for, for Levante David. And so these guys, uh, these guys that we think may end up in the Hall of Fame, they played their asses off in this game. I yeah. mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, Levante, he did what Levante does. He was all over the field. Um, and Dominican was pretty indominant. I mean, that defensive line in general was indominant. But come on. I mean, like, they were all over the field. They made Patrick Mahomes look all out of sorts. And I know we have something in here about, were we happy with the result? I mean, I personally, I'm not a Chiefs fan, like I said before. I'm not a betting man, so I bet the Chiefs are going to win. But, I mean, the Bucks came to play. They They showed up. And I couldn't ask for a better game because the guys were balling out. We're the boys that played for Nebraska. We're the bones. Yeah. I mean, come on. When people look back at this Super Bowl, that's what people are going to remember most. Shutting down Pat Mahomes with, like, no blitz packages. Yep. Just straight up four-man rush, making him run around. Yeah, he had those tremendous throws, doing a backflip and falling out of bounds <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Pat Mahomes is still, he's going to go down as, obviously, like a top five NFL quarterback of all time. But that's what people are going to remember most, was that Bucks D suffocating that Kansas City offense. Are you sure that they're not going to remember Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl or, ring? Or are they going to remember <laughs> Tom Brady celebrating right, his seventh Super Bowl? <laughs> With some and, tequila! Yeah, seeing Tom uh, really deep in the tequila, throwing the Lombardi from one boat to another. <laughs> some assistance into his car today. That was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, so I'm not a Tom guy, but everything Tom did today made made him go up a little bit on my chart. You know, like Look, that was that was amazing. Here, let, me, let me read verbatim what he tweeted. Yes, please. Noting to see her, just little avocado tequila. <laughs> and I can't emphasize some some letters there because there's some capitalized or some lowercase. It's just a beautiful tweet. It's, you know what, you're right. That's what people are going to remember. Hey, and with that, I think it's time to close out this No Block, No Rock podcast. 
episode three. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please subscribe and uh, follow us on Twitter at NBNR Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jared Hall. And Mike Bellower. Guest host, Rob Morrissey. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much, guys.